Now, I've picked uh, the book of Daniel, and the, the, the theme is very similar. The, 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 there was two major captivities in the, the biblical narrative. We know about the, the captivity in Egypt when Pharaoh persecuted God's people and, and enslaved them. And the next great captivity was when they all got shipped off to Babylon. And it's very similar, but there, there is some differences in, in the bondage. And we're going to look at it. And the reason why I picked Daniel is because it's probably the most applicable story to what we are living in right now. I mean, it's an Old Testament book. What does that have to do with us today? It has a lot to do with us today. I mean, turn on the news. Watch the news. Watch the debates. If your heart is conflicted about the political tension, Daniel is the book for you. We're going to be going over what you know what it means to thrive and survive in a culture that doesn't accept Christianity or it's opposed to it. We'll be looking at that today, but we'll also be looking uh, either this, this next week or the week after. What is a biblical? perception or what's a biblical view of politics as christians what should our what should our how should we be oriented politically it's a very i've taken a huge risk because whenever i talk about politics i offend half the church i'm not i'm not joking around it's true that's just the reality of it but god wants us to live in unity and he wants us to live in peace so we can have differences of political opinions. That is okay in this church. But we will, we will say this is the biblical truth on this issue, and we will all stick to it. I'm just, this, there's no way around it. I won't compromise on certain things. So anyway, um, I think that the book of Daniel is very similar to what we are going through right now. Well, but Pastor Josh, we're, you know, we're not in captivity. We're not in slavery. Or are we? Are we? We're celebrating freedom, but are we truly free? What? Because there's uh, look, you've you've been around. I've been around. You've seen it. There are certain things in our culture that hold us captive. There's certain mindsets that enslave us. If you've paid your taxes lately, you might not feel like you're free right now. You might feel like a slave. Right? I got some giggles on that one. So how are we to live in a society that's kind of, and, and right now it's not too bad, but the world is a crazy place and we need to, we need to get inside of God's will. We need to figure out what he wants us to do and how he wants the attitude of our hearts to be. Daniel has a secret to it. Okay. So I got to give you the historical background. Okay. So you know about the slavery in Egypt and through Moses and through divine intervention and through God's hand, he led God's people out of slavery and into the, into the promised land. The land flowing with what? Yeah. So not only did God save them, what did he do? He prospered them. They were in an environment where they could thrive. And this is true for us. He just doesn't want to save you from hellfire. He wants to move you into paradise here on earth too. It is his desire that we're all that we that we are not only just happy is probably not the right word, joyful. That we are we are in a constant state of joy and peace and confidence and security. Happy you throw that in there too, but that's not the main thing. 
Our government goes after the pursuit of happiness. God wants us to go after the pursuit of joy. And so, um, after this, after the Israelites, they got their white picket fence, their two-car garage, a couple of animals, their 401k is nice and healthy. Then they start going to Las Vegas like every weekend. They start partying hard. And the values and the commitment to the Lord and the faith that they had for the Lord began to wane. They no longer went after the mercy of God because they could rely on their own strength. They could rely on the situation and the environment of their own government, if you will. Like the, 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 they didn't have to work for anything. It was all there and ready for them. And so they slipped. And I mean, I know I, know I shouldn't make, I, I'm going to hear about the Las Vegas thing. I always do. But like, I'm just telling you, that's where it starts. Because that's where it started with Israel. When they began to play fast and loose with their values, when they began to say, okay, God, you're not number one anymore. You're number two because uh, fun is number one. And it, it began to degenerate the whole culture and the whole society. And before you know it, uh, they began to sacrifice their own children, like literally throwing babies into the fire. They began to uh, uh, just do all kinds of horrible, abominable things that... I mean, just like, what? These are God's people and they slip this far into depravity? How is that possible? All right. So let's get your Bibles. Let's turn to Daniel 1. Like, this is so hard to get. You're just going to sit sideways for you because it sits sideways for me. I figure if I ever read the Bible and there's scripture that, that makes me feel uncomfortable, chances are it's going to make you feel uncomfortable too. What do you think? Right? But it's true. It's what God said. It's, this is the word of God. This is how he works. And, I, you know, hopefully we begin just to understand that there are, God has his ways, and then there is the character and there is the nature of God. There's two different elements that we need to get about God. His character, his nature, his justice, it's unwavering, and his ways are the same way, but inside of the way that God moves, there is mercy, and thank God for mercy. So we all need it. All right, so this is what's going to sit sideways with you. Okay, so um, chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, bad guy, evil empire. This is like this guy owns the Death Star. Like he's really bad. He has this, he has, he's, he's conquering the whole world. He's got major ego issues. He's got, uh, you know, he's completely self-consumed, this Nebuchadnezzar guy. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. This is in 601 B.C. This is 600 years before Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar uh, attacks Jerusalem and he, and he, he besieges it and he takes out. And well, you'll hear it in a second. There's a second uh, invasion that he does, too. And the Lord delivered... Okay, ready for this? This is where you got to like, I don't like that, but that's too bad, but that's what the Bible says. Ready? You hanging on? And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. So who won? Who got his way here? Now God got his way here. That's what's, that's what's troubling about it. 
God gets his way. It was God's will that Nebuchadnezzar defeated Jehoiakim. This was God's, if you will, judgment. This is God's discipline. No one likes that word. This is God's discipline for a society that slipped into depravity. He delivered him into the hands of the Sith Lord. Yeah? And I'll let that roll around in your head for a little bit because it's hard to get. And the Lord delivered, okay, uh, 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 and with him some of the articles of the temple of God. So they took all the gold chalices and the menorah and the golden bowls, all the fun, cool stuff. That all got hauled off to Babylon. Like, that's a big deal. Like, for us, it's like, oh, whatever. But no, it's a huge deal. It'd be like if somebody stole our speakers. What would we do? If somebody took our microphones. We couldn't worship God anymore. Oh, no. I mean, that's what, that's actually, they were like freaking out because they took their stuff. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon, and he put the treasures of God, uh, the treasure house of, of his God. And the king ordered uh, Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace." He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them to daily, uh, assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. It's not bad, huh? They were to be trained for three years. And after they were to enter the king's service. Among them were, from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the chief gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. And to Hananiah, Shadrach. And to Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. This is completely rewiring them. He, okay, this is what's going on. So, uh, in 601, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he steals all of the loot and all of the talent out of Israel. Takes them all. And then 586 B.C., a few years later, he comes back and he finishes the job. And he literally burns Jerusalem and the temple. The temple to the ground. Archaeologically, this is an important period because this is how we date stuff. Like, it was so devastating. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is a real dude. We're not just making this stuff up. It was so devastating that there's an ash layer. I've seen it myself with my own eyes. It's this thick. It's a blue ash layer. It runs throughout Jerusalem or throughout all of Israel because they burned everything. And this is how we date stuff. Okay, well, there's the Nebuchadnezzar ash layer. So everything below it is that date and everything above it is this date. That's how they do it. Uh, So the academics do it because of what he did and what we're reading about now. And so he takes the best of the best. He, do you catch who he took? Who did he take? He took the nobility and those of the royal house. So Daniel uh, was, you know, he was, a, he was a royal of some sort. And he, they bring him in. They change their names. They literally change their identity to, to match the culture that they're in. 
And then they began to feed these young men the food off of the king's own table, the food and the wine. And they don't, they're in captivity. And yet they're being softened up. Do you see the strategy here? Like they're slaves. But the king is making it really comfortable for them, really easy, really tasty for them. They get to eat in and out every day, right? It's amazing. And they don't notice it. Well, actually, they do notice it. They're like, wait a minute. I'm not buying this anymore. We're still in bondage. Huh? No, this is the guy, this Nebuchadnezzar guy. He's the one that took us away from our families. He's the one that burned our capital. This Nebuchadnezzar guy is evil. And he's fattening us up. It reminds me of that, uh, that fairy tale with the witch that fattens up the kids. What's that? Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, he's pulling a Hansel and Gretel on these guys. They realized that they needed to survive this environment. They needed to survive. And so the first thing that they do, you've got four points, I think. The first thing that they do in order to survive, they make sure that they know who they are. They are not... Uh, Meshach, uh, Bendigo, and Shadrach. They're not, that's not who they are. They're Hananiah. We have our Jewish names. We're going to stick to our Jewish names. That's who we are. And Daniel says, you know what? I'm not going to eat this tasty food. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to take the easy way, and I'm not going to get sucked into this. I'm not going to let them fatten me up. And he says, you know, in order for us to survive, guys, we need to fast. And so they go on a fast. Let me read to you what happens. This is uh, chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy for, for Daniel. Now this seems like a very simple thing, but there's a very powerful spiritual principle that's going on here. Because of Daniel's, ready for this, his discipline. First point is you need to make sure that you, you maintain your identity and who you are as a child of God, as a child of light. That God's, he's wired you a specific way. You are his kid. Never, never forsake that. Know who you are. Know what your name is in the spirit. He has named you. He's got his mark on you. The next thing is going to make sure that you maintain a strong sense of discipline in your life. No one likes this word. I don't like this word. I don't like the word discipline because it falls really close in, you know, it's like a really close second to legalism. Legalism isn't good. Discipline is good. Where, do you, where is that line? That takes wisdom. You've got to figure that out. But you don't want to have a legalistic attitude, but you do want to have a spiritually disciplined life. And so he's able to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to fall prey to this. I'm going to choose to fast. Now, fasting is an important thing to do. It is a spiritual discipline that I want to encourage all of you to do, specifically when you feel like you're losing, when you need a breakthrough. How many people need a breakthrough? You just got to have God move in your life. I want to suggest fasting. Do the Daniel fast. We've done it several times in our church. You can do it for health reasons. Maybe you just need a breakthrough in, in your body. Like, this is a good one to do. Like, you know, even if God doesn't show up, your diet will help you. 
Okay? They commit themselves to eating vegetables and water. Full-blown vegan diet. You could, how about if you just do the paleo diet instead? I don't know. But something happens. Jesus even says, you know what? You're up against the wall. You're fighting a spiritual battle. There's a bad guy in your life. There's the Sith. There's an overlord. There's oppression. You know what Jesus says? You know what? This type only comes out by prayer and fasting. Discipline yourselves. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Go after this thing each and every day. Beat your body into submission. Let, let the devil know who's in charge of your flesh is basically what's going on. It's not easy to do to, to fast. What happens? He gets favor almost instantly. Who does he get favor from? The bad guys. That's a little bit of discipline in your life. Get you a little bit of favor. You can't, okay, here's the thing. You can't earn God's love, but favor is earned by our actions. You can't earn your way into heaven because that's by grace through faith. You can't do anything to, to make God love you more. But this game plan stuff, this, this favor of God, and that, that, that comes by prayer and fasting. That comes by faithfulness. That comes by being dedicated to the Lord and becoming, you know, strengthening yourself. And so he gets God's favor, and instantly he gets the favor of man. And so whenever this is a telltale sign, you know you're doing something right. Whenever you get God's favor, it's immediately followed up by the favor of man. How many people you're struggling in your workplace? Your boss is just up in your grill, and you just it's just miserable. Like before you try and battle your boss, try to gain favor with the Lord. Just put your faith in God first. And just watch what will happen behind the scenes. Favor of God leads to the favor of man. And he begins to do this Daniel fast for 10 days. And you know what happens to the guys? They get smart. Not only do they get healthy, it says that uh, over near the, in verse 20, it says that he found them, the king found them to be 10 times better than all of the other prophets and the magicians and the, the, the miracle workers and the philosophers in Babylon. Babylon was famous for their, their magic tricks. Like they were totally into astrology and tarot card reading and reading the, the, the stars and reading entrails and like just discovering what the mysteries of the world were all about. Like they were totally into to, to wisdom. They, they, they had a market on it. And yet... Because of prayer and fasting, God's guys get amplified. They, they, they raise to a higher level almost instantly. Ten times smarter than everybody else. Ten times smarter than the smartest guys on the planet. And they begin to walk in this favor. And they get elevated to a higher level. Could you see what's going on? The first stage was like survival. Oh my gosh, this bad guy just took us from our country, took us from our families. He is enslaving us, and they're in survival mode. They began to apply a biblical principle, and now they're thriving. Now they are leading. Now they have become influencers in the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. It's cool. 
These are the ways of God. You ready for this? God's ways are not what? God's ways are not our ways. Get this. You've got to get it. Especially for all of you political junkies out there that watched way too much CNN and way too much Fox News. You've got to get this. God's ways are not our ways. It doesn't all line up the way that we want it to. I know that politically you think that you're right. But God's telling you that you're wrong. Because His ways are not our ways. His ways are mysterious. His ways are sometimes cloaked in darkness. Because there is a master plan. And He's playing it. He's constantly fixing our mistakes. Behind the scenes. So as we begin to develop, delve into this, you're going to see God's hand moving in ways that you don't necessarily understand. It doesn't make sense. But you get back from it, you get, a, get that million-mile view of it, and it's like, oh, wow, I didn't see that. That makes sense now, Lord. Thank you. Okay, so, next major point. You got the favor of God, the favor of man. Okay. Now, this one's cool. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 14. Okay, the evil Sith Lord. He gets a dream. You ready for this? God doesn't make any sense to me sometimes. The bad guy gets a dream from God. But he's still a bad guy. Like, he's like a major jerk. And a typical despot, you know, typical ruler, like he has a really bad temper. Everything's all about him. Uh, he's got this major inflated ego. Uh, he thinks that everybody should worship him. He thinks that he's right. Everybody else is wrong. And he has this very disturbing dream. And it's freaking him out. It's like disturbing him. He's never had a dream quite like this before. Why? It's because God's messing with him. Um, that is... Like, I mean, I love you. I so do. But if you're not walking with the Lord, and if you're having a hard time dreaming, if the night seasons are kind of hard, it might not be the devil messing with you. God's got this way of communicating to us in dreams that's very, very vivid and very powerful. And this is what he's doing with, with Nebuchadnezzar. He's giving him this dream. It is, this dream is from God. And I'm not going to read it to you, but I'll, I'll explain it to you. Um, well, I'll explain what happens first. Like, he's throwing a major tenter, temper tantrum. He goes to all of his magicians and his fortune tellers and all of his wise men. Okay, did you know like the wise men that are in the nativity? They come from this guy, by the way. Um, he's like, he's like so angry, so disturbed, and he says, "I've been." He says this to his magicians, his magic trick guys. He's like, "I've been paying you guys way too much money, and you're not giving me any answers. You're not coming through for me, and I am disturbed by this dream, and nobody knew it. So therefore, you guys are all going to die. He's going to kill them all." Like, he's going to kill all of his magic guys. And like, oh, no, wait, 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 don't kill us. Let us interpret the dream. He says, no, you guys are the wise guys. You, you ready for this? You need to tell me what I dreamed or else you're all dead. Probably thousands of them, by the way. Thousands of these wise men from all over the world. 
That includes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because now they're the wise guys. They're the elevated near the top. So do you see what happens? We're no different than these people. You, God saves you. You go into a season of prosperity. You go into a season of peace. And then before you know it, like your head's on the chopping block once again. Wait a minute, Lord. I thought that we were saved. God says, you are saved. Let's do this thing again. Let's just build your character up one more time. Because higher level, different devil. Let's go after it again. You need this. Daniel's like, this, this, create, this insane guy, he's going to kill us. He goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, he's gonna, he's, he means it. Like, this is going to go down. Okay, church, you have to get this. Because what he does next, what Daniel does next, is so revolutionary to your prayer life. You need this in your prayer life. There's two, basically, mindsets in, in, our, in prayer life. There's one mindset that says, uh, Lord, would you help me? Lord, I need this from you. I need this. Lord, can you save my soul, right? Can, Lord, can you deliver me, me from this situation? So that's one prayer. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not the best. Because the best prayers start with we and us. Deliver us from this situation. God, we need your help. You see, they're communal prayers. God really likes the communal prayer. And so what Daniel does is what we need to do, what you need to do when you're up against the wall and you feel like you're going to go down again. This is so key and so crucial. He taps his intercessors. He, do you have this? He has a group of people that will pray with him. And they'll pray as a team and as a group for breakthrough. Listen to what he says. This is chapter 2, verse, verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out and put, the, put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke with him. Okay, so they're already killing people. Daniel spoke to them. Ready for this? With what? Wisdom and tact that will save your skin that literally saved his skin when everybody else is going down around him daniel keeps a cool head and he speaks life into the situation with wisdom and tact okay is there a lot of wisdom and tact going on in political debates on facebook these days is there any tact at all there's not is what is god calling you to in the political debate He's calling us to wisdom and tact, not to be ugly and mean. All right. That's more of where that's coming from. Okay. And he says, what's up with the king? Why is he doing this? Verse 17. Then Daniel returned to the house, and he explained the matter to his friends. And there's the Jewish names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It just sounds better that way, doesn't it? Like the song comes out better, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
He urged them to plead for mercy. Mercy is an amazing thing to ask God for. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So you see what he's doing. He's not like, God save my skin. He says, God save our skins. Save us, Lord. He petitions his intercessors. Look, if you need prayer, you can tear off a little card and I guarantee you, we'll pray for you on Tuesday. But you know what's better? Is if you get a group of people around you in your 8-8 group or whatever group you're in and you say, let us pray together. You need it, folks. I'm telling you, you need... I, I am so blessed. Mako and I are so blessed. We have an amazing intercessor group. We went after it this morning. God broke through major ways this morning. Why? Because we got together as a team and we prayed together. And you need that. Find your tribe. Find it inside this church. Find it somewhere else. But you need to find a tribe that you can pray together with. And then you're going to see God do amazing things. Immediately during that night, verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and presidents and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise. I added the president thing. That's not in the scripture. I don't know if you caught that or not. Just making sure that that was like, yeah, I added that. He sets up kings and disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and what dwells within him. I thank and I praise you, O God, my Father. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we have asked you of. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Isn't this cool? You see, this is the type of biblical perception or the biblical view that we need to have in politics. This is Daniel's got it. What in the world's going on? So he gets he gets downloaded in the night. He gets downloaded Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So now he gets to tell Nebuchadnezzar, this is what you dreamed last night. I can read your mind. I can read your dreams. Here's the amazing thing. I don't know if you've caught this. This is another secret that you need to get. This is another practice, another spiritual practice that you need to start doing, and you need to do it now. Daniel gets the dream. He gets the vision. It's revealed to him in the spirit what's going on. Is he still safe? Has he been delivered? Is his head still on the chopping block? What is he doing? He's giving thanks and praise for his deliverance before he got it. When was the last time you done that? Or do you just keep on whining to God about not getting your breakthrough? Or is that just me? No, he, he knows. He knows that he knows that God spoke to him. And because of that, because of his relationship with God, he can, he can go there. He can say, I give you thanks for the deliverance of this. And then he gets into the he gets into the court. He gets face to face with the king and he says, "Look, dude, this is your dream. You dream that you saw you dream that you saw this big giant gold statue or big statue in the field. 
and it was cut up into four different sections. The first section was, was of gold, so there's a head of gold. And the second section was a, a body and arms of silver. And then the, the groin area was, was of bronze, and the legs were of iron and mixed in with clay. That's what you saw, right? And Nebuchadnezzar's like, how did you know? So he's got his attention. Like, if anybody tells you exactly what's going on in your head, word for word, it's going to get your attention. You know what's amazing about the book of Daniel? Just the accuracy of this guy is scary. It is so accurate. His biblical prophecies are so accurate that the Bible scholars date him uh, like 300 years later after this was written because they're accurate. Because Daniel prophesies, he prophesies that there's going to be a, a Persian empire. He, he prophesies that there's not only going to be a Greek empire, but it's going to be led by this crazy guy, Alexander the Great. He gets that one in detail. He even goes as far as describing the Roman Empire, like 500 years before the Roman Empire exists. You ready for this? Well, maybe we'll get into this one. Daniel predicts the day Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the donkey. To the day. Uh, Bible scholars don't talk about that one because they can't explain why. Uh, he, Daniel, uh, he talks about this, the issue with the Maccabees. It's not in our Bible. It's extra biblical stuff. It's, it's you know, anyway. The, the, he tells exactly what goes on with the Maccabees because uh, the, the, the Greeks come in, they defile the temple. Uh, you want to know what they did to the temple? They like, they start, they start cooking pork chops on the temple. Like, it was like the worst thing you could possibly do is to sacrifice a pig in the Jewish temple. And Daniel says, this is going down. And it's going to go down this year. And it is, and they call it the, the, the desolation of the temple. The, and it's just, he gets it all. Okay, you ready for this? Not only is Daniel like 100% accurate in those cases, he's prophesying into his own time He's prophesying in detail 300 years later. That's why they think that it was written 300 years later, but it's not. He prophesies specifically when Messiah rides into Jerusalem on the donkey. And he's prophesying specifically what is going on right now in our world. And we'll get into that as we continue the series. It's crazy. Like, I think I know who the Antichrist is. I'm being serious. I think the beast is alive, and I think I have a good idea who the Antichrist is. So you'll have to come to the whole series to find out who. Oh, and by the way, I do know when the end of the world is, when Jesus is coming back. When is that, folks? Tomorrow. There we go. So, you know, we would be doing an end times Bible uh, prophecy conference, but since the Lord is coming back tomorrow, we wouldn't have enough time to put it together. So, okay. Anyway. And Nebuchadnezzar draw his, it just drops because he's seen the revelation from God and then begins to say crazy stuff about God. And again, this is the bad guy. Let's see if I can find it. Da, 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 da. All right, anyway, basically he says, wow, your God is awesome. I should probably pay attention to this guy because my gods don't do this kind of stuff. And so he, Nebuchadnezzar begins to give God glory. He says, wait a minute, I, I see he doesn't quite get it. Like he needs to go to, he needs to go to Sunday school some more because Nebuchadnezzar says, I see the gods are working in your life. And Daniel's like, no, it's just, it's just God. There's no gods. It's, it's just God. And so what Nebuchadnezzar does next is typical of your self, uh, 
consumed, egotistical leader, right? It's all about him looking at him. It's all about his needs. It's about how he's right. Everybody else is wrong. Like Nebuchadnezzar is just self-consumed. Even after the revelation. Even after he sees that Daniel's right. Even after he elevates Daniel to number two over the whole empire. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Who else does that happen to? Joseph. You see the principles of God? It is, you just apply these principles and these things begin to happen. Yet, Nebuchadnezzar can't break away from his ego trip. And immediately after, he builds a 90-foot golden statue in the plain of Dora. Like this big monument to himself. Oh, I'm so awesome, right? I heard from God. I'm going to build this big statue for myself. And then he demands everybody to come in and worship. This is the Sunday school part that you should know. How many people don't know this story? Yeah, it's, okay, okay, I got a couple. Good. Okay, so this is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come in. So Daniel's out ruling something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are, they are in the plain of Dora because Nebuchadnezzar and his massive ego says, come out and worship me because God's, I don't know, I had a religious experience. So it's all about me. And so they are being forced to worship this golden statue, this idol, this um, media stunt. They're being forced to worship it. And they stand up in their own truth and they say no. They say, we know who we are. We know who, what our identity is. We have disciplined ourselves not to fall prey to the things of this world and the delights and the pleasures of that, that, that affect the flesh. We are in a community that prays together and we lift each other up and there's no way we're going to worship you. We, we, you are our king, but we're not going to bow down and worship you. Let me tell you what, let me show you what they say. It's absolutely amazing. This is in chapter three. Chapter, chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, because he's like, I'm going to throw you guys in the fire. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. Okay? You see the mindset there? And... He will rescue us from your hand. So they're, they're, they've got it down. They're good. Then they say this, O king, but even if he does not want you to know, O king, that, oh, excuse me, O king, but even if he does not, okay, even if God does not save us, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So whether God comes through or not, we are not going to bow down. We are going to stand in our own truth in who we are and our identity and our commitment and our discipline and our prayer life. You're not going to be able to take that away from us. This is who we are. No matter what our circumstances, you cannot take away who we are. And this is the amazing thing about our faith. 
Again, we're free. But there are, we have brothers and sisters that are literally in bondage right now, yet their spirits are free. They are free in Christ. We are free, but you all know that you have friends and family that are slaves to addiction. And they are not free. They live in a free country, but their souls are not free. So freedom is a state of mind. And it only comes from Jesus. He says, no, we are not going to bow down. Even if God does not come through. Job said something similar. So I'm going to worship God no matter what. No matter what my circumstance is, I choose to worship God. Though he slay me, that's how extreme Job was. Even if God kills me, I choose to worship God. What kind of faith is that? I don't know, but I want it. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace. Oh, he like amped it up. It was like he was so mad. He was so ticked off that these guys opposed him that he's like, let's get this fire hotter. And he like stoked it up seven times hotter. And then, you know, he gets these guys to, to get him near it. And they opened up the gate of the furnace and the guards evaporate because it's so hot. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall in. Then Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants... Oh, I forgot the good part. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar, this is a, uh, verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Wait, weren't there only three guys that we threw in when we tied up and we threw the guys in the fire? Were there only three? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And, it, and the fourth looks like, ready for this, a son of God's. Okay, let's give the guy a little bit, a little bit of a break. He's a full-blown pagan. He doesn't realize he's looking at Jesus. He just knows that he's looking at something that's divine. Like, looks like a son of God down there. What's going on? Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants, okay, ready for this? Servants of the Most High God. Pagans don't say that. Pagans don't say Elohim, ever. Come out, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors, they crowded around them. They're like amazed. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was there a hair on their heads that was not singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. So not only were they not burned, their hair wasn't singed, they didn't even smell like smoke. This is what Jesus does, folks. Jesus gets into the fire with us. He is a God that saves He saves each and every time. He saves us from every circumstance. He comes in the fire. He comes, okay, what's your fire? Uh, What is your fire? It could be a number of different things. It could be persecution. It could even be your own sin. Some of us have been stuck in sin for a very long time, and we just feel like we can't get out. It's true, you can't get out. God's got to get you out. And when God comes in and gets you and pulls you out of the sin that you're in, that lifestyle that you're in, guess what happens? You're not burned anymore. 
Guess what happens? Your clothes are fine. Your hair is fine. You know what's even more amazing? You don't smell like smoke anymore. You don't smell like sin anymore. Some of us Christians have been walking around. We still have the stench of sin on us. That's not necessary. The only reason why we remember the smell of sin is because we choose to. We choose to remember our own sinful life. But God says, I don't, I don't see your sin anymore. I've forgiven you of your sin. It's obliterated. It doesn't exist in history anymore. If I don't see it, therefore you shouldn't see it. And you shouldn't smell it either. Amen. You are a new creation. You're fresh. There's not a scorch mark on you. And this is what Jesus does. This is his promise to us. That we don't walk around smelling like hell anymore. Amen? Amen. I don't want to smell like hell. All right, let me get the band. The ushers come up to the front. Mm. Thank you. All right, so here's another statement from the Lord Sith. Therefore, I decree that people of all nations, of all language, who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like, I'm going to cut you into pieces. So he's still got a lot of work to do. He's, he's still a jerk. Okay. But this is the powerful statement that he makes. You ready for this? This is revealed to him. He didn't come up with this on his own. No other God can save in this way. No other God saves like our God saves. He saves us from hellfire. He saves us from bad decisions. He saves us financially. He saves our relationships. He saves our marriage. Our God saves. No other God saves this way. The Oprah Winfrey book can't save you in the way that God saves you. The the counselor cannot save you the way that God saves you. You cannot save yourself the way that God can save you. You might be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But only God can save you like he saves. And his saving is pure. There is no smell on it. Would you stand with me? Okay, we're going to do something. I'm going to give you a little preview of the coming weeks. This is not a part of the message. But Daniel goes through this thing again where he's going to get killed by a different king. And he begins to develop this discipline in his life where he prays. And so I want to encourage you. I want to, I'm going to challenge you this week to, to be like, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and set a time. Maybe God's calling you to fast. I know he's calling you to pray. One of the secret disciplines that Daniel did to not only get him to survive but thrive was this pattern of prayer. He did it three times a day. He turned and oriented his heart towards the holy city, to the high city of Jerusalem. Even though it's burned down to the ground, he shifted his position. He He literally shifted his body towards Jerusalem. So let's do that right now. It's that way. So you can still like see the band, but like it's like right, probably right, right there is that's do Jerusalem right there. That is your promised land that God's calling you to. He's leading you out of bondage. He's leading you out of captivity and back into the land flowing with milk and honey, prosperity, freedom. And it's right over there. Bow your heads, close your eyes. If you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you need to get out of the fire, if you want to have mercy on your life, just raise your hand. God bless you. I see you there. God bless you. I see you over there. God's going to save you from the situation. God's going to save you. God's going to save you. God's going to save you. Jesus is now living in your heart. It's a powerful testimony of your future. God saw this day before the world was created. 
So God, right now, we thank you so much for your power, God. We thank you so much for your wisdom and that we can have your wisdom and your tact. God, right now, I pray right now, you just bless this offering to its fullest extent so we can advance the kingdom of heaven here on earth and throughout the whole world. God.